Welcome to Coffee and Converse. I'm Diane and this is a show for lifestyle entrepreneurs, those people building a business to support their life instead of living to build a business. If this is you, stick around for strategies on doing business more efficiently, with more ease and in a way that feels oh so good to you. Hey, hey, today's guest, Laura berman Fortgang has spent more than 25 years in the personal coaching world. She's a best-selling author and speaker, and between all of that, she helps coaches and consultants mine their methodology to grow their income and impact. Hey, Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Dana. So let's start with a quick intro to you and your business. My goodness. Well, I, I'm starting to call myself the OG coach because I have been coaching since the 90s. I was in my mere 20s then, and I was one of the founder founding members of the International Coaching Federation. I was one of the first 16 students at Coach U. I really had a hand in seeing this profession go from nothing to everything that it is today, including getting to travel the world to spread the good news. And I've enjoyed a lot of great opportunities. I've been on the Oprah Winfrey Show. I have five books. My TEDx talk has 1.7 million views. And, you know, I never thought of myself as anything other than a coach, meaning that many times when coaches hit a certain A-list status, they stop coaching because they're speakers and they have other opportunities. But I always felt like if I didn't have my laboratory, if I didn't have my coaching clients, then what am I talking? Like, who am I, right? Like, I built my reputation on the results that I create. So now the results that I create are twofold. I've been known for helping people figure out what to do with their life. And I've used that same methodology with entrepreneurs and coaches to really sharpen who they are as a coach and what really is their thing that is their zone of genius, and then building that to an A-list reputation. So I kind of corner, you know, coaching out in the real world and coaching in the coaching world. (laughs) I love that because what I always say to people is, you know, we're so encouraged to be like, you should coach people one-to-one. You should have a group. And then you should have a course and not talk to anyone. And I always think that all your network in the world is new coaches. Right? You don't, you lose the expertise level of the profoundly experienced (laughs) right right the people who can look at you and in five minutes flat go this is where you need to focus and i think as you grow as a person the the expertise level you need from your coach also needs to grow with you and if everyone's just doing courses then where do we find that right oh i i so agree with you that is a great observation it's it is one of the things that makes me sad so i was a late adopter to the scaling model because i was like but you're not a coach anymore you're a teacher you know, you're, you're teaching your principles. So I've always maintained, I always have to have one-on-one clients. Even if it's just a handful, that's fine. And, and I still have scaled and I still have created programs and I still have put things out in books. But I've always looked at it less as people should have less of my time because I don't want to trade hours for dollars. I've thought of it more as how do I reach at people at every price point? How do I bring that years of experience that you cannot get by anything else other than doing it to every price point. So it's like, ah, the book is 15 pounds and the, you know, the course is this. So I, I, that's how I've looked at it always is how do I reach more people through the right price points for them? And I think that's such an important clarification for people who are thinking about scaling is to actually take that step back and be like, is this in service of me or is this in service of I want to be able to reach more people at their price point versus I just don't want to work as many hours. Well, I love that you look at it that way because I, I, you know, my husband has often looked at me and gone, you know, 
if you didn't have so much integrity, you'd be a lot wealthier. And and I share this with a couple of other colleagues of mine. It's like, where's the integrity? Where's the integrity? And that's not to poo-poo people making fabulous dollars, but I think you can do both, you know, and not just be elitist. It depends where you where you put your attention and your spirit. Yeah, I feel like it's been this thing of like, you know how sometimes like entrepreneur land kind of looks at corporate land as like, oh, shape, please. Yeah. Like you're, like you're in a job. <laughs> and then I feel like within the entrepreneur land, there's like, if you're still providing a service after years of being in business, it's almost like you, you must be doing something wrong. Like, don't you want to like lie on a beach while you earn passive income? Not that I have anything against anybody who's teaching something that earns them passive income, but I think we are diluting our skill pool massively. Uh-huh. In all areas, not just in coaching. They get someone to do your Facebook ads. They want to put you in their course on how to do a Facebook ad. You know, it's like, no. <laughs> but, but I hear like, oh my, you're just speaking to my soul with this because it's one of the things that makes me sad about this industry. And also just, you know, it's it also goes back to, do you know the old book by Michael Gerber, The E-Myth? Right. Yes. So the reason why most businesses fail with five, within five years, and one of the reasons why most businesses fail is that people keep working in the business, not on the business. However, part of why the businesses also fail is because the person who went into it for the craft, let's say you were a woodsmith or you were a coach or you're a writer, you went into it for the craft, then you turn it into a business and you get further and further removed from your craft. Now you have to worry about shipping. Now you have to worry about you know, can the book go to the right publisher, whatever the, or the coach wanting to scale and never, you know, I'm just going to sit in my, by the pool, like you said, and not talk to anybody. So we, we are diluting the crafts when we just get away from doing the craft and worry about the business. So I think there needs to be a happy medium if you, if you're an artist, if you're a craft person, and I don't mean that just from art in the fine arts. I mean, anyone who works with people, anyone who wants to reach people, it, it's a form of art. You're moving people, you're making them think, feel, and change. And to me, you're an artist. And and this echoes a little bit of Seth Godin, if you know him, the marketing guru, Seth Godin. Mm-hmm. I went to a small seminar he did, and he was talking how, about how, you know, we're artists. And he was asking people what they do. And I stood up and I said, you know, I raise consciousness for a living. And you probably, have, you didn't hear that in my introduction, right? That's sort of like my, you know, behind yeah. the scenes answer is that, I raise consciousness for a living because you're an artist. It was like one of the highest compliments I ever got paid was that, you know, if you're doing anything that moves human beings, then it's an art. And the further we get away from our art, the less people get that depth of your experience. And and I think the less joy you get in the day to day, because I do think people think I can step back from the business and life will replace the joy I feel in the business. Right. I can give up all the things I love doing in the business, do the stuff I don't really like in the business in order to get more life. And somehow that will balance each other out. Whereas I think they're missing that you still, as a human, have that desire to, as you say, create. Yes. Well, I, I do get entrepreneurs who are burnt out, who come to me and they've lost the spirit of what they were doing. And what do we need to get back to is like, well, why were you doing it in the first place, right? You didn't do it to have a team of 30 people doing your social media. You did it because you saw something that spoke to how you could move people, right? So how do you get back to that? And it may be a new iteration. It may be a different business, but, you know, ultimately we're human and ultimately we care 
if we are like how our reward is not just the money. It's like, did we do something that mattered? Like, you know, the the deer who come to Mm -hmm. eat bushes in my backyard don't think about if they matter. (laughs) (laughs) I wish they did. They'd stop eating my bushes. But but human beings care if they matter. It's just a very strange phenomenon. That's why people are like, I need to do something more meaningful with my life. What does that, you know, what does that mean? It means that you need to feel good about it. You need to feel like you've done something that that moves the planet forward. And that's a human dilemma. You know, that's the conundrum of being a human being. We see it like when people retire, the job's been this whole part of them and then they retire and they're like, I'm so bored. Bored and depressed. I do have a cousin. I'll give him this. He, I think he retired at 50 because he, you know, double income, no kids and both lawyers. And now he does his music, you know, his first love. And so he, his days are full and he's great. But I see so many people retire or semi-retire to get lost. Just, you know, there's only so much golf and waking up late you can do before you start introverting <laughs> and, and feeling right. like life doesn't have meaning. 100%. So before we dive into how to get on the A-list as a coach, a consultant, an expertise-based business, can we clarify what the A-list Yes, is? let's. I do have a show business background. I, I was a musical theater junkie who turned it into a career for a decade. So to many people, they'll think that I mean by the A-list, like an A-list celebrity, right? And I don't think of it in terms of celebrity as much as I think of it in terms of the people who don't have to audition anymore, right? So, Ooh. right? So if I go, okay, I want Tom Cruise to do my movie, no matter what you think of him, I did see Maverick, Top Gun, and it was excellent. And I'm not a big fan of his. Oh my God, his movies are good. So anyway, I'm going to I'm gonna name my A-lister, right? They don't have to audition for me. If you ask yeah. Tom Cruise or... Emma Thompson to audition for you, they'll be insulted. So for those people that have been coaching a long time or been a consultant for a long time and you have a certain reputation, it's like you don't expect people to audition you. You're just like, oh, you heard about me. You're interested. Great. Let's work. So and do you have and to build a reputation where you're asked for my name, do you have to be a celebrity? I don't think you have to be a full out celebrity coach. I just think you have to have some habits that a lot of those people do have. And that's some of the things we're going to talk Ooh. about, right? <laughs> yeah, my next question was, is there a strategic path or some mile walkers we can look for, but it sounds like it's habits. So tell me the way. Okay, if we look at it, we'll look at habits and then there's principles too, I suppose. But like a habit, you can't be afraid of self-promotion. You know, like I said, I'm not saying, I mean, I know people who pay tens of thousands of dollars to have videos made of them and do all the right things and it got them nothing, you know? And they came to me and go like, why didn't you tell me? It would, it doesn't add up to anything. I said, you never asked. You never asked. If you'd asked me, I would have told you, don't waste the money. But if you have opportunities, if things are organically coming to you, how do you leverage that? So even in my early days when I had a paper newsletter, folks, paper, paper got mailed. If I was on, there were no podcasts then, but if I was on, if I was mentioned in the Wall Street Journal, I would let my clients know, Right. Why would my clients want to know? I don't need them as new clients. I don't need to impress them in any way. But my own clients started to see me differently because I was in the Wall Street Journal. I made the best choice in the world. I had the best coach. You know, look look at me. I'm so smart. So not being afraid to self-promote a little bit, not from a bragging point of view as much as from a, a mile marker, a, you know, I did it, you can do it point of view. So leverage is really important. That's a habit. 
Leverage isn't a habit. Actually, when you do a sales call and someone says yes, that's the perfect time to go and make another call to someone who was a maybe or pick up the phone and make a cold call or scary call because leverage is everything. When you're coming from a positive win, it's a much different conversation than when you're coming from lack. So that's one habit is leverage while you have the good and don't be afraid to self-promote. Another habit is just really thinking thinking of your client's experience, right? So a lot of people think, oh, good, got a new client, sign them up, they paid, yeah, we're gonna have a strong start. And then, you know, we just get into this mode. How do you treat your client like they're the A-lister because they are working with you? So when they have a top-notch experience and you keep caring for them as, in, as a top ideal client, that's how they're gonna talk about you too. That's, they're going to send people like them who are going to enjoy that experience. And it's, so we're going to turn that one into a habit. I'm actually turning the habit into a two-parter. One part, treat your clients like A-listers. But on the other hand, don't say yes to unideal clients. It, and it's a tough one. It's a tough one, especially if you're in like a needy place and like you need to make that nut that month. But unideal clients only will refer people like them. Oh, it's the double yeah. whammy. We all know how much it sucks from you to work with an, an ideal client, but I never actually thought about the knock-on impact. Then they'll of... send you their good friend. I used to say it more harshly. I used to say, if someone's a headache in your practice, they're going to send you other headaches. So don't try not to take on a headache. If you know, if you see it in advance, don't be tempted. Don't be afraid to self-promote, leverage, treat your clients like A-listers and avoid non-ideal clients. And then an important factor that I don't know if we're going to call it a habit, but an important factor for consultants and coaches in a very crowded field is for you to eventually mine your own methodology. And that's really at the core of the A-list situation is, again, it's not about your celebrity. It's about your reputation for results. So if your results speak for themselves, they probably come from a certain domain. Like I, I created my longest 16-year stint. At first, it was helping people get ahead and get promoted. Then it was work-life balance. Then after 9-11, I just found myself with a specialty of helping figure out people figure out what else to do with their lives because so many people were questioning the meaning of their lives, at least in the United States, when something we never thought would happen in a lifetime. So... Yeah. And I guess we're seeing that repeat again now with the pandemic. We, we hear it for the great resignation, right? People really relooking at what am I trading mm. my hours for dollars for? Is, is it worth it? Well, that's a whole other conversation. Back to mining your methodology, back to your reputation. So if you're, so if you're not going to be building a reputation on celebrity, look at me, look at me, look at me. You're building a reputation on results. And this is where most newer coaches or consultants struggles because you don't have those results yet. So you've got to go and get them. But once you have a series of results, then looking at like, okay, how do I do my special juju as a coach? Like for me, it was a career decision, career clarity trajectory. And then I have a different methodology for coaches to get on the A-list. But you have to look at like, what have you done repeatedly? Where have you gotten results repeatedly? Who's your ideal client who get results for repeatedly? And now you niche, now you have a methodology and that's what you start building your reputation on. It says again, it's not your beautiful personality and how gorgeous you are in your pictures. It's your reputation for results. That's what makes the phone ring. My TEDx talk is, thank goodness, my greatest source of referrals. And I did it, you know, in 2015 and the phones, I have two people today who contacted me who want to become clients. 
I have many, many fortuitous stories in the course of my luckiness over my career. And that was another one, like someone who knew of me years ago, had forgotten about me, was speaking to another coach who uses my methodology. And they were like, oh my gosh, I know Laura. So a conversation with me, she'd made the article was about her conversation with this other coach, but she put my TEDx talk as like a resource and it went from 3,000 views to 50,000 views in a month. And then it's just been climbing. So now it's one, almost wow. 1.8 million. So thank you. Thank you. There's that leverage. You spoke about how like your career trajectory has changed. Like you looked at different things. So I'm also a big pivoter. I come from a really long corporate background. Then I wanted to save everyone from corporate. Then I wanted to save everyone from systems. Then I wanted to save individual CEOs from burnout. And now I'm like, how do I really like help teams integrate mm. all of that? Right. So it's kind of all coming together in one thing. How do we take that A-list reputation with us from our one pivot or growth or expansion to the next? They're probably not as, they're not disparate. You know, if one of the things that I, I do with my career stuff and well, with the coaches too, is to say, okay, look at all those things you've done. At the core, there's probably a theme to them. There's probably one core tenant you hold or one core belief or hypothesis that really ties all of them together. And they totally feed into who you are, right? And who, what you're here to change on the planet. So you're just really changing the packaging around it. Like you, you're not changing. It's the packaging. So that your reputation stays intact because of the results you've created before. And then you have to create that great bridge story of how, you know, your work with the CEOs and your work with this has means that you know teams inside and out. Right. Yeah. It's interesting because I hadn't connected any of them until you said to me, what's at the core of all of them? And for me, I had a really bitter it to my corporate career. I like burnt out, fully burnt out mm. with traveling for two years couldn't fit straight kind of burnout. And I think what, if I look through the thread of all the things that I've tried to do is I've tried to make mm. people happier in their jobs. Yep. Every single piece of Oh, I'm delighted. And that's, and that's, that's a, that's a problem for so many people. They think that they're all over the place, but no, there's a core tenant. There's a through line. And if you can name that, you've got your bridge to any of the, any of the pieces you want to express it through. Yeah, I love that because I think we do think about, oh, I could pivot to this. And you think, oh, everyone's going to think it's just a shiny object versus like, how can we position that as a development of what we already believe and already working toward? This is just the next expansion of it. You know, it's, it's evolution because when people talk about reinvention, it's not reinvention for the sake of reinventing. It's not like I used to like purple and now I'm going to like yellow. It's like even if you look at Madonna, who's reinvented dozens and dozens of times. I like to think, you know, probably sometimes it's something she puts on from the outside in, but most of the time it's, it's a peeling away of the onion. Like she discovers a new layer, right? So she went, when she went through like her Hindu kind of like goddess phase, like that's what she thought was true for the moment, mm -hmm. right? That was the next peeling of the onion. And then when she did that and dug deeper, then there was another one, you know? And sometimes, you know, your record label or whatever, now bring back Madonna with the cone boobs, you know? So you know, you're going to have outside influences, but I don't ever think of reinvention as a outside in thing. I think of it as an inside out peeling away another layer till something new evolves and is made known.
that really resonates with me because it does feel like that's kind of what I've been doing is getting closer and closer. Exactly. like my core exactly. mission. So it gets purer and purer instead of it feeling like you're getting further away from something, you're actually getting closer to the core. So we've got our habits. We have our methodology. What are our strategies? Now, how do we put that methodology and those results out in the world? How do, how do we have it now that we're onto the how? <laughs> and, you know, now you can see why people come to me. Like, I've never, I've been asked for years and years to like, how do you write a book? And how do you get on TED Talk? And how do you do this? How do you get on Oprah? And it never interested me to like advise on that because I don't, you, there's ways to do it that could get you no result whatsoever. You know, so you can put your mind to that. But I always like to think of it as like, how would you, what would be the highest use of your gifts to serve? Right. So I love to speak like I was a performer first. So that I built my business through speaking and at first for no pay. You know, so if I were to catch myself more mid-career, if you're somebody who, you know, has a methodology or is thinking I have my methodology, what what is the first avenue you would take to put it out in the world? Like, do you love books? Do you love writing? Do you, you know, do you want to have a course? Do you want to have a, you know, a video vault? Do you want to do speaking on this topic? Do you want to train? You know, like I've trained um, many corporate groups on how to use coaching skills as a management skill. Like that was one of my iterations. So how, what would just light you up as the first way to share that? And you can't do all of them. Like people are like, well, I'm going to write the book and that's going to lead to this. That's gonna, like, no, just pick. Don't think of it as like one will lead to another. Just think of which one you just can't wait to do and start there. And, you know, once you have a book or the methodology or the course, like it can become all the other ones, but you'll see that it, it becomes more of an organic process. Like you don't need to plot and plan every single little thing. Just pick which way it'll get out in the world first. So it should be organic because if it's going to be something you're going to stick with, it should be something that you're going to enjoy doing. And that's the other thing, you know, when you try to create it from the outside in, it's like, well, I should have this because that's the thing that'll get me that. It's like, if you hear yourself talking that way, you're already going down the wrong path. And that's part of why I avoided teaching how to get any of those things over the years, even though I could speak to how I got it, but that doesn't mean that's how it's going to work. It's like luck and synchronicity when you show up 100%. It's not something you can predict. But when you show up 100%, my experience is that good things happen. The methodology is essentially to pick your thing, pick your route to the ATIS, whatever that is for you, podcast, book, speaking, teaching, whatever, and then focus on that with the intensity of a thousand suns without thinking about all the things that could possibly lead to just show up and do that. And I do believe that it will have a ripple effect. Oh my goodness, I can just picture like all of my incredibly detailed listeners being, I don't know how to make that a task list. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to trust that task meeting universal energy equals pleasant surprises. You have to be prepared for anything. And the only way you can be prepared for anything is just to be fully present in the moment. And the way that you can be fully present in the moment is that you know that you have it in your body and your soul and your cells because you practiced it enough. Just show up. So I get the taskmaster people and then I get the people who wing it. And there needs to be a combination of the two. So I do think we have covered a lot and we've gone fairly deep on some stuff. I know you have a great resource for people to be able to refer back to if they weren't following our thread through the many tangents. 
Yes. For the linear people today, behind curtain number one, we have our six steps to go from solo practitioner to a sensational brand. And so that will give you more of a six step linear trajectory on how to do some of the things that we've been talking about today. I'll make sure we link that in the show notes so that everyone can find that. So to finish up, I always like to ask my guests the same two questions. First up, what is your number one lifestyle boundary for your business? My number one lifestyle boundary for my business. I stop earlier and earlier now, but it's 5 p.m. right now. It's just like <clears throat> over and I don't come back. I, don't, I used to come back 10 p.m., 9 p.m., blah, blah, blah. But I'm just, and my children are grown now, but they, they start two 21-year-olds at home. But I probably work less now that they're older than when they were little. But yeah. Lifestyle boundary, day's over. It's over. Amazing. What time does the day start? Not as early as you think. Nine. I mean, I get I oh, get okay. up way before that, but yeah, it's a nine to yeah. fiver. It's a, and again, there's that consistency, right? Mm-hmm. These are the hours that I have. Okay. Finally, I think you'll enjoy this one. What is the worst piece of cookie cutter advice you would give in as an entrepreneur? Oh, goodness. <laughs> Like, let me think back to 25 years, bad advice. This is what comes to mind. Hire me. That's the worst advice I've ever gotten. <laughs> but the people who were ballsy enough to cut, like be in my face and go, hire me. I did. And I will never follow that advice again. And I only did it because they were people who had such, such confidence in themselves. Like, wow, who does that? But in each, it, I think I did it three times and it, worst mistakes ever made. So there. And I think that's often disguised, like it was really blatant to you, but I think that's often, well, I always say to people, if somebody's going, you should have a membership, you should have a membership, you should have a membership, and they have a product that helps you have a membership, you have to have like multiple grains of salt. Consider the source. Consider the source, exactly. Well, on that note, this has been amazing. <laughs> I feel like I've had so much clarity out of our conversation, so... Well, that makes me very happy. <laughs> Thank you all for coming to listen to my private coaching conversation. <laughs> Where is the best place for people to find you on the socials? Yes, find me at Laura B. Fortgang. That's Instagram and Twitter, Laura Berman Fortgang, and you'll find me because there, there's no other Laura Berman Fortgangs. There is Dr. Laura Berman, the sex doctor. I am not her. <laughs> Just before we go on a completely different tangent. Yes. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Thank you for having me. It's really fun. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to follow the podcast and leave us a review.